Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Zinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Hello. We are so happy to introduce today's podcast guest. The New York Times Book Review calls her work, Search, quote, a wicked pleasure. Hunnevin is a wise storyteller. This novel has plot, character, structure, and a delicious, deeply human pettiness that I think most honest readers will relate to. Hunnevin's descriptions of food are the best I have ever read. So, Michelle, tell us about your book. So, Data Patowski, who's the narrator, is very much like me, although not like me in some respects. She's still a working restaurant critic and food writer. I haven't done it for a number of years. She has two miniature donkeys. I don't have two donkeys. My husband won't let me. And she has a staff job at the Times, and I never had a staff job, but I did have a column for over 15 years at the LA Times. And then I tried to quit at one point and the LA Weekly hired me at twice what I'd been making at the LA Times to keep writing. So I had a good 15, 16 years as a restaurant critic. So why not make fiction out of it? As I was reading it, I was like, okay, is it a memoir? Is it a novel? But I thought that was such an interesting way to pull us in where we did feel like we were showing up with someone's thoughts. Oh, thank you. It's meant to be fun. Dana's sort of writing the book as she goes along and she makes funny little cracks. Somebody one time says, oh, I just read your book and I feel like coming to your house. I'm walking right into the pages of your book. And she's like, you are in more ways than one (laughs) because she's putting them in the novel. So I just have fun with it. It's not a big postmodern meta project. It's just something that I had fun with. There was a moment where someone almost blew your cover as a restaurant critic. Can you talk about that? This is something that happens to restaurant critics all the time. People get so happy that you're taking them out to this free meal where they can order as much as they want. They go, thank you, LA Times, or I'm so excited to be on a restaurant review. And they happen to say it in front of the hostess or in front of the waiter. It's a well-meaning bit of enthusiasm that blows your cover. And what do you do if someone does that? Do you just hope for the best? Do you go, ha, 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 wouldn't that be funny? Yeah, pretty much. You go, yeah, you wish. You wish this was a restaurant review or something like that. Would you mind reading us the first page of your new novel? Okay. The first page is actually called A Preface to the Second Edition. I never thought I'd be writing this preface. Who knew that a comic memoir with recipes about a church search committee could ever go into a second printing. Nor did I expect the talk show attention, the op-eds, and the late-night parodies, or the sales. But my fourth book seems to have struck a chord not only with many churches and academics, but also with the religiously unaffiliated, who found in the seemingly tame subject of a church's search for a new minister a surprisingly dramatic cutthroat adventure. To answer a few of the many questions readers have asked, yes, this is a memoir of a real experience. It is not fiction. I was on a search committee for a senior minister, and this is my story of that search. 
Others might tell it differently. That said, names and certain details have been altered to protect identities. Several of the living have recognized themselves, although sometimes in the wrong character. Libel law offers clear guidelines for making a person unidentifiable in print. Change three characteristics, for example, and I followed them. The talk of lawsuits has subsided. <laughs> Sorry, that cracked me up when I read it the first time and hearing it in your voice. It's so fun. Mm -hmm. Didn't you say that your husband wanted to be out of the book because people made fun of him for kissing the chickens, which he does, and then wanted to come back in? Yes, that's not the real reason in real life why he wanted out of the book. I think he felt self-conscious when I put him in something before. And he had said to me, don't put me in this book. But then when he read it in draft form, he said what a couple of other people said is that Dana, my narrator, either needed a love interest or a husband. And I said, well, she has a husband. So I expanded the husband. I didn't want to add a love interest. I expanded the husband. And curiously, the feedback I've gotten is a lot of people just love him. I love how he hides out like in the shed or whatever his office. <laughs> Just bring me cocktails. <laughs> yeah. It's so fun. Yeah, he has like a Mainer quality to him. Like, I'll just be out back, which I love. So let's discuss the cocktails. You have this way of just naming everything. When you started talking about cocktails, you had these great names. You had the slam dunk, the lively discussion, the decision maker. And I loved how Dana yeah. used to, to soothe and bring people together. She seems like a maestro of cocktails, dry Chardonnay and cake. So tell us how you created such a nuanced food character and any tips out there for other writers using food to help grow a character. I really felt like her choices and how she described things showed who she was. I loved when they were talking about the Trader Joe's bag. Is this Trader Joe's lettuce? But it just showed this range. And that just seemed to represent who she was. Who was someone that just really was open to everything all around her. I think as a restaurant critic who's gone to a zillion different places, she is open to a lot of things. She's a gardener. The character Riley Kincaid in the novel is this sort of amateur mixologist. I actually don't drink, but I loved reading cocktail menus and all the different things that go in cocktails these days. You have $24 cocktails you can order now that have tapache and tequila and I don't know, weird fruit juices. And you have to muddle this and that and put in a raw egg white. I just, <laughs> I loved all of that. So I just had a lot of fun putting it all together. And also if you've been a church member and you go to church picnics or church potlucks, sometimes you have gourmet cooks and sometimes you have shake it out of the bag people. And Dana runs into this with her memoir. She's hoping to get enough good recipes for the book. But in the meantime, there are people bringing store-bought salad dressing and lettuces and store-bought hummus and rotisserie chickens to their dinners. The nerve. I definitely the nerve. I know Belinda's salmon. That's a really good marinade. It's also a really good marinade for chicken thighs and chicken breasts. Especially maybe, if you grill it on your barbecue. I wonder, is that something we could maybe put in our show notes? Is that copyrighted? Yeah. Is that okay with you? It's yeah, fine we'll with add, me. You have right. Yeah, we'll add it to the show notes. So <laughs> everyone will have to make it and get on Twitter and chat about it. Send pictures to us too. Do I have a favorite meal in the book? There is this Otto Lange chicken recipe, the chicken with caramelized onions and cardamom and rice. 
which is so delicious. Every time I make it, it's always a big hit. I wish it were my own recipe, but it is not. It is Yotam Autolenghi's. And you can get it in the back of the book. You can get it in the New York Times. You can get it in his book, Jerusalem. It's fabulous. Would you be willing to tell us a bit more about our best year? I loved the concept of that and how it improved a relationship in your life through cooking. Well, it's based on my life. When I was a senior in high school, I was very interested in cooking. And I just took over the kitchen. My mother was a school teacher and she came home from work exhausted every day. Had 30 kids in her class. She'd come into the door and you could just tell how tired she was by how the door closed. And I just started making dinner and it gave her a couple hours to herself, which she hadn't had before. And she was so grateful. Also, I didn't mind washing the dishes, but she would be like, oh, no, I'll wash the dishes. You made dinner. And then we would go shopping every Saturday. But this time I had the shopping list and she drove me around and I would buy it. And it just really improved our relationship about a thousand percent. And because I was doing something for her, she like, let me take something she would never have done before. She let me take a senior ditch day, uh, go to the beach with my friends. We just had this understanding. It really created a new trust. That's so nice. It's like you took on adult responsibilities and she started treating you like an adult. Yeah. But then I went away to college and it all deteriorated again. We fought like cats and dogs again, but it was a good year. Would you be willing to tell us a bit about how you got your agent and what the publishing process was like for you? I had gone to the McDowell Writers Colony and I met a woman who has become a dear friend of mine, Sue Miller, the author. And she had an agent named Maxine Grofsky and Sue liked my writing and sent some of it to Maxine. And Maxine wrote me a letter saying that she'd be happy to see anything I wrote. And it took maybe six or seven years afterwards. And I sent her the first draft of my first novel, Round Rock. It was 700 pages long. And she called me and said, I can't read this. It was too long. I was like, it's 700 pages. I was sweating when you said that. I started sweating. <laughs> she says, it's too much, Lewis. I was one of the main characters. Too much of him. It's too much. I can't read it. It needs to be cut in half. I said, okay. And I spent the next six months cutting it in half. And I sent it back to her. And she was really famous for getting back to people quickly. But a week went by and another week went by. And then she called me and she said, I'll get to it next week. It was like a Friday. Sunday, I came home from church and there was this message on my answering machine saying, oh my God, you did it. This is wonderful. I couldn't stop reading it. I want to be your agent. And that was just so amazing oh But then she told me later that the first time with the 700-page draft, she had rejected me. She hadn't told me to chop the book in half and resubmit it. She said that was as firm a rejection as I've given anybody. I didn't hear it from that. No. I just thought, oh, oh my goodness. Half. So I cut it in half. What a lucky! Oh, thank goodness you misunderstood. What a lucky misunderstanding! I would say, after researching you and looking at many pieces of your work, that you have learned how to be concise and to really, very quickly show character and get us in scene. Do you mind if I read to you just a tiny little paragraph here from Harper's Magazine's "Too Good to Be True"? Oh, sure. You wrote Harriet has speculated as to what set Gail off. Everybody has. What makes a child eat pills indiscriminately from every medicine cabinet, even consuming the dog's tramadol and carprofen, 
What makes a soft-skinned, wide-eyed adolescent glug like a two-buck pint of warm vodka, inhale burning white powder, or slide a needle into the milkiest stretch of her inner arm? It was interesting because it was so opposite of what we saw in the search, which it was a church and it was much lighter. And then I was like, the range that you have shown over your writing career has been just amazing. Can you tell the listeners how you get into character and then stay within that vein with characters? That's interesting. Character, I think, is what interests me the most. And Search was a really hard book because there were so many characters and I didn't know them. Except for Dana, I didn't really base most of them on real people at all. And I think of writing characters as almost a layering process that you get to know them like the way you get to know people. That's one of the things that was fun about Search is if you go to church and you're on a church committee, you go into the committee room, maybe you don't know anybody there and you're a little bit scared. I always have a little fear in every new matriculation. And when I get scared, I get critical because I was a critic for years and it's just in my DNA. And I think, who are these people? And are they interesting? And will I like them? And then you find out that this one just got back from the Peace Corps in Kazakhstan. And this one is the head of the Psychoanalytic Institute, and this person is a landscape architect, and they bloom. They bloom like flowers, and that's what happens when I write characters. I don't know them, and I don't know who they are, and they make themselves known to me as I write them. But sometimes I have to do research. I call people that have their professions that I think might know something. Like I talked to a lot of ministers in writing search, and I talked to a lot of people that were on search committees. It's not that I used their material per se, but they would always give me some little detail, you know, but it's a layering process. So when you say that, do you mean that you write it and then you go back through once you know the characters better and give them a little bit more as you're drafting? Mm -hmm. And sometimes you add scenes. I had to go back and add the husband. And he said things I didn't expect him to say in the book, that sort of thing. Michelle, you mention a few times in the book that there are people who notice the character is a writer and therefore assume she is available for free advice. Have you encountered this in real life? And do you have any tips for how to deal with it? Oh, I think every writer encounters it. You hear it in every form. Oh, you're a writer. I have the story for you. Or I'm writing a book too. I remember my uncle Irving was writing a book and in typical Hunnevin tradition, his was a thousand pages. It was a thousand page science fiction saga that was pretty unreadable. I'm sorry to say, may he rest in peace. But yeah, you're considered an on-the-spot writing teacher or a writing mentor. I just say, I'm sure you know what you're doing and just keep going. That's what I say. Hmm. But often the thing that most people need is to keep writing. Yeah. So I think actually your advice is very good. Yeah, so sometimes they actually turn out something fantastic. Every now and then a friend of mine will say, oh, I'm going to write a novel now. And I think, oh, yeah. And recently a friend of mine wrote a novel and it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Who knew? <laughs> I'm so happy for her. That's always so nice when it works out too. So you can be genuinely enthusiastic. Yeah. Okay, by co-conspirator, best friend, essentially. Somebody that you can tell everything to and that keeps you going. 
I think that the greatest service that friends give one another is encouragement. They give each other courage. They build courage in you. They encourage you. And my number one encourager on this book is the writer Mona Simpson. She and I are more or less writing partners. We read everything that the other writes. And we can be really tough on each other, but I'm a better writer because of Mona. And I like to think that I help her as well. And mostly we just enjoy conversation. I'm a person who can't live without a lot of conversation. There's a very famous yogi, Satyadananda, who said that the world depends on women talking to each other for at least an hour a day, that they keep the world going. Um, and wow, I love I just, that. I love that too. We know it's true. It is true. And I think like that's what you did with this book. You built a community of people that grew connected via this search committee. And in some ways, I feel like they all opened up in different ways because of it. I thought that was what was really magical about it. Thank you. Yeah. In the book, Dana, the protagonist, she just wants one person on the search committee that she can gossip with and that she can chat with and that she can discuss the goings on in not necessarily always the most kind ways. She's not an unkind person, but she does like the nitty gritty. She does like the gory detail. And she's really looking for that person. And I'm not sure she ever finds it on the search committee, but she finds it in ways that are surprising to her. I love how creative a process it was for your search committee. There was this wonderful writing prompt they were all given that I would frankly love to give our writers. That is, imagine your life is a movie that you've stepped out of to be here today. What is the title, the setting, and the plot? Do you have an answer for today? And can you talk more about that prompt and why it's great? Well, it's great because it allows people to think about themselves in the third person and the great cinematic version of their life. Boy, today would be, Hunnivan talks herself nearly to death. <laughs> and what happens when your blood is replaced by sheer adrenaline for a few hours? Because I'm doing a series of interviews. You guys are very welcoming. It's nice to see oh. your smiling faces. Oh, thank you. We'd love to give away one of your books. We ask that the writer gives a secret code word that our listeners can write to us and the first person will send them a book. Okay. How about Jane Eyre? Ooh. Because that's my favorite book. You're the first person to send an email with Jane Eyre in the subject line to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com will get a copy of this beautiful book. It will make you hungry. Fair warning. Just in case that does happen, check out our show notes for the salmon recipe. Michelle, it was such a pleasure to speak with you. I'm glad we've gotten a half hour of the necessary hour of conversation in. I'm sure you'll have much more than that by the end of today. Thank you for spending part of your press day with us. Before we go, do you have one tip for writers? Yes, write every day as much as you can, but set that timer and write for 20 minutes every day. You'll be surprised how much will pile up with just 20 minutes a day. That's my advice. Thank you so much. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. 
We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.